You are listening to the No Formula Podcast, episode number 48. Welcome back to where we chat with a different entrepreneur every week, from app developers, sales experts, and coaches, to authors and social media influencers. We focus on their journeys, how they built their businesses, and the lessons they've learned along the way. Together, we confirm that there is no formula to success. I want to thank all the listeners that have been supporting the No Formula podcast. Be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know what you think about the interviews and don't forget to subscribe. From art school to advertising agencies to entrepreneurship, there were many pivots in Jessica Barlow's career. Now she's building a business in the healthcare sector and is teaching founders and startups how to do their own PR. Jessica's work has been featured in Business Insider, Refinery29, and even got Barack Obama to say things that she wrote. In this episode, Jessica explains what it's like to be stuck in an employee's career. She also reveals how to get your story picked up by the media and ultimately get more customers. Visit noagencymethod.com to work with Jessica. In the meantime, hear how you can do your own PR and avoid spending thousands of dollars. Hi, Jessica. Thank you so much for being on the No Formula podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Very Uh, exciting. I am super excited to get right into your story. I want to go back in time. Okay, I know you've had a lot of pivots I know you've had a lot of pivots in your professional career. Can you walk us through what that looked like? Okay, I'm going to take it right back to when I was in university. So I went to art school. Um, I moved from Hong Kong to London, which was very scary for my mom. She used to call me because Hong Kong is so safe and very small that when she'd call me, there were like nonstop sirens. And I think that like, I must have given her like a tiny heart attack every single time she called me. But, um, so I was studying graphic design and illustration. And in my third year, I said to my tutor, I don't want to quit. Don't know if this is for me, but my mom, <laughs> my mom is Chinese and like, we're, we don't quit. So like I stuck it out. Obviously I still got a first because I am half Chinese. But my tutor was like, maybe you should think about advertising. And that was literally the only thing that pushed me in the direction of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. So when I left university, I left in the middle of the recession, which was really fun. It meant that I had to do five unpaid internships until I found a job. And it was really, really difficult. And I think that you know, if anyone is listening to this and you're a 2020 graduate, I feel you. Feel free to reach out to me because I know what it's like to really struggle to find work, especially when I look back now because I know how hireable I am, you know, as I know what an asset I can be to a company. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's crazy. So five unpaid internships. I mean, I did internships at, in like design, in um, like comms agencies, in ad agencies, marketing agencies. And I just really wasn't sure what I was doing. And I landed at this agency and um, I really liked it. I felt like I was doing a real job from day one, which is kind of the sign that maybe they should be paying you. And uh, what was lucky for me is that a previous internship, which had resulted in a tiny bit of paid freelance work, 
hit me up and were like, you know, hey Jess, we actually have an opening now for a job and we'd like to hire you. And um, I didn't love it there, but I was like, someone finally wants to pay me. I should take this seriously. And so what I did instead is I pitched it to the current place that I had been interning. And I was like, I'd much rather work here. I'm clearly doing a good job because I'm you know, responsible for X, Y, Z. And uh, they said, yes, they hired me. And it was the best decision ever because I ended up making like eight grand more a year at that place than what had been sold to me at the previous job um, or the previous uh, internship who had tried to hire me. So it was an instant win for like the first step on my career ladder. And um, I worked there for four years. Um, I got, I guess in terms of pivots, one thing that's interesting about me is that I've never left a job with something lined up. I'm a bit of like a risk taker, I guess, in that respect, in mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm very confident in my abilities to secure a job, even though I obviously have had like serious wobbles in between. But when I get to a place where enough is enough, it's almost like I need to run out of somewhere. You know, I need, I need to get out because it's not healthy for me to be there anymore. I'm just gonna get more and more resentful. And it's, it's kind of what's happened, you know, every step of the way. So that led me to, you know, first ad agency job, led me to second ad agency job, led me to third ad agency job. And by this point, I genuinely had worked with all of the coolest brands you, you could imagine. Um, budgets got just got bigger and bigger, responsibility got bigger and bigger, but like, I was so miserable. It's a really, um, it's a sexy industry in terms of, you know, there's entertaining clients and you're doing, you're traveling and I've like flown around the world making content for brands, but it's also lacking real purpose and it's really painfully commercial. You only see one side of this, right? You only see the brand trying to push something on TV or on a billboard. And I was lacking the purpose, I guess. So I, in classic Jess fashion, left my last agency and I was like, okay, enough is enough. I took an actual like proper break and I had a bit of a career crisis where I thought I might want to do my own thing. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't for a long while, so <laughs> there's a bit more pivot in between. But I went to a talk once and I got the most crucial advice that I would pass on to someone, which was, if there's something that you want to do yourself, try to get someone else to pay you to do that so you can test if it's something you actually want to do. And so I thought at the time that I wanted to launch a food product. It was actually like a bread. And um, I instead ended up consulting and marketing for like a tiny food brand. And I realized after six months of working with them, how much I did not want to launch my own food brand. You know, I watched them struggle to get retail listings. I watched them struggle to secure investment. I was like, I, I stood for 16 hours in trade shows. I was so clear to me that that just wasn't the future for me. So I ended up looking for another like full-time role at that point. And it was at that point that I realized, okay, maybe I should consider tech. Um, it's always been, you know, another sexy industry that I thought I would enjoy, but maybe a little bit more hands-on. I'd always thought that like working in tech might be like another sexy industry. I was, I was also interested in doing 
like a marketing position that was a little bit more like <clears throat> you're in the brand, you're doing it yourself, you're a little bit more hands-on. I wanted to be brand side, right? I didn't want to be like agency side. And uh, at the same time, I was really keeping my op like, options open. I wanted to like see what I got pulled to. I was putting a little bit of trust in the universe, I guess. I interviewed at so many places. <clears throat> and I remember when I was doing applications, I had sent 35 and you know, I had a lot of great interviews in that moment, but they couldn't be more different. Like one was, I'm not gonna name names because it's awkward, but you know, when I had come down to making decisions, one was a really well-known fashion brand. One was a very well-known video streaming service. Um, and one was like a really big government healthcare job, you know, and I was just like, couldn't be more different. Mm -hmm. um, but what I, where I ended up was like a tiny tech startup who was, um, so my, my last kind of full-time employer, they are a Swedish founded app called Karma, where basically they are taking care of food waste, but in a really fun way. So if you were, just to give you a bit of a taste, <clears throat> if you were a restaurant and you had made too much food that day, you could sell to the Karma consumers on the app your kind of fresh food from that day, but at half price because you would have thrown it away otherwise. Mm -hmm. So I was like, this is a super worthy cause and I'm gonna learn a lot and it'll be a lot of fun. So I kind of took the plunge and um, I worked there for five or six months. And in that time I was in a marketing role and I mean like doing everything very much like one man band in terms of, you know, what to post on Instagram, like doing flyering, doing like doing campaigns on buses, doing like just like F everything because that's how startups work. And then, um, the founder essentially was like, have you thought about doing our PR and communications for like, I was just working on the UK at that point for like all of our markets. So we, we had, we had three markets. I was like, um, no, <laughs> I, I was like, I don't, I don't do PR. I mean, I didn't, did a little bit of PR and comms in this marketing role. Uh, but, she, but she was like, I think that you'd be really good at this. Um, and so we had this really frank conversation where I was like, well, I do feel like I'm not learning right now and that's not great for me because I know from experience when I feel like I'm not learning I have like one foot out the door but this will be learning this will be such a learning curve that you also have to be okay with because like I could be terrible at this right obviously like newsflash I'm not it was fantastic and uh I spent the next year there basically like I I took so many people for coffee. I met so many journalists. I did everything I could to just immerse myself in this role and realize what does it mean to do PR in-house at a tech startup? I couldn't have read more, watched more things, like asked more questions, used more tools. I couldn't have, have like pushed myself more. Because when you work at a startup, you're under insane pressure. Mm -hmm. Even if some of that is like self-inflicted, I had these high targets. But the amazing thing is that it really, really paid off. And I realized that, you know, there was almost like a, a winning method of trial and error that I had figured out. Um, and when I was leaving, I was leaving, not because I wasn't enjoying it, but because I was like, now is the time to do my own thing. So by this point, maybe we're on like 
third pivot. Um, mm -hmm. What I'm doing now is I left the, the tech job at the start of the pandemic, unknowingly. I, I had quit before anything had really been like announced in the media, before we knew about lockdown. So I suddenly found myself um, unemployed starting a business when the whole world was like on pause, which was terrifying. Oh my gosh. Um, but I basically, I left to start one business and then I ended up, you know, a couple of months later starting two. So I'm building one business in healthcare. It is in adult social care. Um, we are just getting on off the ground. There's not a lot I can talk about because we have to go through a lot of regulations before we can operate, but it's really exciting. And we fully expect to disrupt the care industry, um, primarily in London, but the, obviously the intention is to go, go big or go home. And um, what happened because we were in lockdown, and I guess because we were operating in a space that we've never known before, I realized that I had almost like a gift that I'd learned or I'd like created in myself in my last job that I felt like I should share. So I started a second business and that's called the No Agency Method. And what it is essentially is training, tuition, like an online course at, at its base level to teach founders or startup teams, so primarily marketing teams, how to do their own PR. So how to take PR in house and stop paying for an agency. Sort of why I called it the no agency method. Um, it has definitely made me some enemies who, of people who work in PR, but <laughs> I think it's so important. It's so needed. It's, a, it's an industry with so many smoke and mirrors. Like the reason that I, I think was so terrified of taking the role in the first place or doing it was because you are constantly being sold that you have to have this like black a black book, address book, all of these contacts, and that you have to know what you're doing. Well, I'm here to tell you you absolutely don't. <laughs> like it really works. You know, we we were winning awards, we were on TV, we've like been in every business publication and every major media publication that I would have hoped for. I mean, there was even a moment where I wrote something for um, I wrote something for an application, and then it ended up that like Barack Obama was using the words in my application on stage once. It's like mental things like that happen, but they're only gonna happen if you just have a go, basically. Mm. I think if you pay someone else to do it, you're losing that magic. So it's been amazing. And I, I only launched it in July. Um, and I did the math the other day because I don't know, maybe I needed a bit of a pick me up, but I realized that I have helped 54 brands and or people because they've not all been like full brands mm -hmm. um with like you know learning how to do pr with empowering them giving them the skills giving them the confidence it's been really fulfilling that is an incredible feat for such a short period of time what is that three four months yeah it's That's a bit it's crazy to look back on and i guess it's because i've done a i've done a mix of teaching like a, a live cohort so people mm. come together and learn and then teaching people like individually online um it's i'm so happy really i'm really proud i'm glad that i took a chance i had like a little whisper of an idea um mm. in may uh and then i started like shopping it around having chats with people then i built it in june and then i started teaching in july so i'm like 
for me, it was a bit of an antidote to the bureaucracy of trying to build a business in the public sector, to build a business that has that kind of bureaucracy and red tape. Because mm -hmm. with no agency method, I could run as fast as I wanted to because it was only me. But it does mean that, like, I can't, sometimes I can't keep up with myself, you know, like, <laughs> I tell myself, tell myself that I'm going to put a bunch of stuff online or I'm yeah. going to have, like, the most epic Instagram game or LinkedIn game or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, like, I get tired, you know, I can't, I can't You're do just it one person. But, it makes exactly. sense. Yeah. But I think, like, the beauty of it is that it's, it's so sector agnostic. Like I've had like meditation coaches, like, like, uh, female empowerment coaches, business coaches, and then like lots of tech companies, as you can imagine, like in property and in insurance, in finance, in childcare, in, um, in food. And then I've had a bunch of like, like things that you wouldn't expect. So like law firm, design agency, branding agency, and then lots of consumer brands. So mm -hmm. like, um, chocolate brands, like biscuits, cakes, um, alcohol, not non-alcohol, um, just like really, really amazing. And a lot of like household startup names, mm -hmm. um, that I have always assumed would have had their, you know, would have had their stuff together to know how to do this so it's really eye-opening that even if you have been doing this say being in marketing for a decade you could still not really get pr um because that that's where i was right it was like i'm not sure i understand mm -hmm. this so it's been really cool to see the kind of caliber of people coming in because it'd be like someone at founder or ceo level or cmo or head of marketing or head of brand um, marketing manager, marketing exec, like, and then, you know, fresh graduates from that whole spectrum, all needing the same tuition, all needing the same level of understanding of a sector that's like shrouded in mystery on purpose so that you pay the money to do the work, I think. <laughs> I think. I, listening to your story with all your pivots, I really like how you overcame any uncertainty, right? You weren't sure if you liked something, you got someone else to kind of pay your salary while you figured it out. You kind of, you pivoted, but it was always strategic, I find, mm. which I think is very interesting because usually we pivot and we're like, oh my God, what do we do? Whereas you were like, no, I want to try to, you know, start a food brand. I'm going to work for a food brand you made the pivot. So that's where I see where your risk kind of comes in, where mm. even though you were uncertain, you were actually super certain of your decision. I think like, I, I can look back now and say, mm -hmm. obviously I was really certain, but was I like terrified in the moment? Was I constantly doubting myself? Of course. Of course, but, but you followed your gut. Yeah, I did. I think right? You still did it. Is, like, I really learned from not following my gut. So I, I've taken um, jobs before where there were so many red flags. And then, and then I was sort of like, okay, but, oh, but can't, can't be that bad. Like salary's good, client's good, should be okay. Like I'm sure it'll work out. Um, always because I thought that it was gonna be temporary. Cause I had like, there was a pivot in between that I didn't even mention where I had this grand idea that I might do an MBA, never did it. Mm -hmm. But um, there, so I, I really went for this one thing that was massively against all the warning signs in my gut. 
And it ended up being like kind of the worst decision because it kept me in an industry that I didn't want to be in, mm -hmm. um, working with people that I, that were not my people. And when I look back, I'm, all I can say is that I'm thankful that I did it because it pushed me out harder, faster, and more bruised mm -hmm. as a result. Um, and if I hadn't have had that, I wouldn't have the guts to make such dramatic pivots. To know how miserable you can be, I think, then you get, you get the, the, the risk kind of factor. Seems yeah. more interesting. Yeah, I've heard people say like, once you kind of reach a low, that's when you start building yourself up. Because if you're okay, and if you're in that comfort zone, then you just kind of hover there. But when you yeah. start going down, you're like, wait a minute, I'm going to start taking action now. <laughs> uh, I mean, what, is hap what happens in the comfort zone? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. Like, yeah. You, you, if you are comfortable in your job, leave. Because mm -hmm. that, is the, that is when you stop learning, you stop growing, you might as well switch your brain off. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, obviously, everybody um, eats their own because some people just want a simple job, which is going to sustain them and they have other priorities. And I, there's nothing wrong with that kind of life. Yeah. But it is not me at all. Mm -hmm. At what point in your career do you think that you finally felt confident in what you were doing? I think... I realize, like, it, this is going to sound, I, I think this is going to sound incredibly egotistical. <laughs> I think I discovered my confidence actually in my first job after maybe like the first year where mm -hmm. I realized that like, oh, I, I got this. Like, I really know how to do stuff, even if that stuff is something that I'm doing for the first time every time, mm -hmm. because it was such a steep learning curve in my first job. It was a small, small agency. When I joined as an intern and then got hired, it was 10 people. When I left, it was four, um, when I left four years later, it was 50 people. And I went from an intern and when I left, I was like third in charge after like the founder, CEO and the MD, managing director. So that was crucial and pivotal in my own kind of like confidence building journey. Mm -hmm. But when I had that, like, not listening to my gut moment, I lost maybe 80% of my confidence. So it's not something that you have forever. You have to work on it. So it took yeah. getting back into a job that kind of made my heart sing again, which is when I was in tech, even though I, you know, just as stressful, like learning a lot, super uncomfortable. But it was like I found my light again. It's like I was mm -hmm. like back to myself. And I think that my confidence level surpassed anything that it had ever been. And I think there are two important lessons in that. And that is, first of all, identifying that you probably need to change. Yeah. And then taking the leap. Those are huge, right? But first and foremost, identifying it. Because a lot of people identify it and then they, they'll complain. Mm. Whereas you were like, mm-mm-mm. Oh, I've been there. I mean, of like, course. Is, it comes with age, you know, like, like it, oh yeah, you're so that, old. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I think I, when I look back, I can see the times when I was complaining and doing nothing. Yeah. You know, I can, I can remember that resentment building for mm -hmm. no reason, really, because I was the yeah. one at fault. I was the one not changing the scenario. Yeah. But, um, I, I, I mean, to be honest, like I wasn't, I don't think that I'm built to be an employee. 
Because when I look back at all of my moments when I was in full-time employment, like I was a nightmare to manage. I'm the one who's like, I'm like hitting the ceiling, like give me a promotion, give me a pay rise. Look at how much money I'm making your company. Um, like, like literally, I, I would have those kind of conversations mm-hmm. because that was the only way I saw myself succeeding. And the reason that I left my first job is that this, the ceiling wasn't breaking. You know, there was like no, there was no option for me. I wasn't, there was no growth. Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, there's no, there's no hard feeling. Sometimes you, you hit um, a moment where there's no, there's no future for you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, <clears throat> I admire people who tell me that they've been in jobs for like, six years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years, and they're still happy and they're still able to feel like that they're growing because I don't know any organizations like that. You know, (laughs) like I don't, I don't know where I could have worked that would give me that feeling because my expectation of myself is so high. And I think that that's what's on my side, you know? And I also think that that's part of being an entrepreneur is that if you want to grow, you can if you want to change what you're doing, you can. So you embrace it so perfectly. Such a good match. So I, when I was just toying with the idea of doing my own thing and having a, um, like taking the leap. I mean, I, I have always wanted to do my own thing. I've wanted to do my own thing. Like when I look back since, um, 2014 is when I wanted to leave at it, at it, the advertising industry. And it was 2018 when I was like, enough is enough. I should do my own thing. In that moment, when I was taking that break, I thought that I might go into coaching. I might go into counseling. I might become a nutritionist. I might um, start this food brand. I was like desperate to find that thing. Like I was like seeking the, the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turns out that I had to wait until, when is it? 2019 for one of my closest friends to pitch his business idea to me and that's what I'm building you know it's not um it's not my vision I'm bringing someone else's vision to life um and with the healthcare company and that's kind of worked out perfectly because it it kind of came to me at a time when I was ready whereas the ideas that I had had myself none of them like lit a fire under me that's why they didn't happen Mm -hmm. um so do you believe that let's say entrepreneurs have a ton of ideas and they don't pursue any of them. Does that mean that it's not for them or are they not meant to be an entrepreneur? Mm, I mean, I think that it has to come down to the action that you put into something. So I, I am a hundred percent confident that if I had chosen any of the paths that I was toying with when I was having that kind of career crisis, you know, if I right now had been two years into building myself as a, as a, say a counselor or a nutritionist or whatever, would I be killing it right now? A hundred percent. Because I would have put everything into it, but it just would have been that thing instead of this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So what made you wait? Why did you wait? Why didn't you pursue any actions on all those ideas? Because they, they weren't right. And you, know? you knew that at the time? Not, nothing like stuck to me, I guess. You know, there was like, I'd, I'd buy a couple of books or I'd do, I'd, I was going to, you know, I was going to a couple of like free webinars or lectures or something to get a feeling of, then a lot of the, op- the options that I was considering included more study. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I was looking into them and everything felt, 
really flat. Nothing, nothing felt like sparkly. <laughs> nothing felt <laughs> exciting, you know? Yeah. Um, and the space that um, I'm in now and, and what, we're, what we're building, um, I mean, obviously alongside the new agency method, incredibly proud of that, but this, this business that is kind of yet to come to life, it's a sector that I know absolutely nothing about. And I think the beauty of that is that it's almost like now I have to figure out my own education. Mm -hmm. So there's still an education element. There's still a, um, I don't know, school of life element that has to take place mm -hmm. where I learn as the company grows. Um, so I think I, I figured know, I it out. Oh, yeah, I go think, because listening to all your stories, because you also mentioned that you wanted to get an MBA. And listening to your story, I completely understand that because I think you thrive or you feel like you're at your best when you're learning yes. and you're so good at it. You're so good at it. You starting companies that are small and you're like, oh, you need absolutely every single thing in marketing done. <laughs> I'll figure it out. That's yeah. what you did for the tech yeah. company and your first job with the PR, everything. So now that you have, now that you're working on this new company with your friend, you're like, this is it. This is my learning phase and you'll continue learning, but that's why you love it so much. Yeah. I mean, I think you've nailed it and this is going to get like so philosophical and deep now because now I feel like I need to rethink my whole life, but <laughs> sorry. It's, uh, I, no, but like I look back and in the, in my previous two um, jobs, but the tech one was completely different scenario because it really was learning but in my yeah. previous two agency jobs I would get to six months and by that point I had like fixed all the problems increased the profitability like fixed the team dynamic like all the things that I thought needed to happen exactly and then I, and then I would be like okay bored yeah and it would happen over and over again mm -hmm. whereas we're now like we started building the healthcare company uh, my co-founder started in February and I started in April because notice period and stuff. Um, so we're at month six, really. And uh, I'm not bored. I'm literally like, I, I, I couldn't, there's nothing to be bored because I'm like, oh gosh, I have to figure out our chart of accounts. I have to understand how to figure out our cash flow. Things that I never in a million years thought would be my responsibility. Yeah. Uh, especially since like, hello, I went to art school. I'm suddenly like, oh, I have to figure out business. Okay. okay. <laughs> but um, you love but it. You love it. I you thrive. Yeah. I do. I, I'm, I'm really enjoying it because it's, you make a move, you do something, you talk to someone, but you see something tangible, mm -hmm. you know? Like, yeah. And also the satisfying thing, I guess, of having like an art school background, it meant that, you know, I could design all of the branding and like the entire website and everything for both of my businesses, like quite easily, you know? Mm -hmm. it, and not, not that I know how to develop websites, but there's a lot of things that you can use that kind of help you do that. Um, and it's like, I know what I'm bringing, you know, then you can see the value in mm -hmm. why you come together. But I have zero of the clinical expertise and that's what my co-founder has. So, you know, we're, we're, we're a good match. Design is very much part of marketing and you have a beautiful website. Everything <laughs> looks so cohesive. You look at your Instagram, you. your website looks very, very nice. Uh, I, I also just me as well. It's all you? Yeah, it's all me. I didn't. Nobody can help that. with anything because why well, also like I don't spend money on this if you don't have to, you know. If you have a decent eye, you can do it. 
You see, when it comes to design, I would think that's actually probably my weakness. I can oh. I can put two colors together, hence my logo for the No Formula podcast. <laughs> Hello. Um, but, <laughs> but anything more than that, I struggle. I can figure it out eventually, but it takes me to sometimes, like, I still have my nine to five job and I'll design something and my manager's like, it's nice, but <laughs> it's, the, it's the but, right? It's the but. Yeah. And that's yeah. when I know, like, got it. You don't, I don't get offended because I know that it's not my forte. Mm. Why when well, I saw, you've got to know. Yeah, I, I know. That's why when I saw your website, I was like, beautiful. This, oh, this is good. It works. It works. It mm. works. Um, okay. So I want to get into PR. Because I'm sure our listeners okay. are dying to get tips. Okay. Okay. I know that having a story is very essential for a brand, but you also say that it's pretty important for PR. Can you tell us mm-hmm. why that's super important? So, when you're talking to a journalist, the only thing they care about is what is the story? So you're not ever selling your product to a journalist. You're selling the reason why you created your product or the reason which created the opportunity for you to start your business or the inspiration in your life that created the opportunity that saw the gap in the market that et cetera, et cetera. And the more kind of beautiful that story is, the more likely you can kind of tap into the emotional side of a journalist and get coverage. So the story is everything. So the, um, the kind of number one place to start there is like, what is my personal brand and what is my founder story? So why did I start this business and who am I as a person? What am I willing to put out there? Um, and I think crucially, this is something people forget, like what are my boundaries of what I won't share? Because there are some founders and entrepreneurs who will like, you know, bleed all over the page, who will, um, show you know their they'll show their kids going to school they'll show um you know the the expensive house they live in they'll show everything and then there are some there are some people where you're only going to see just the business side and that's like a when you're building your personal brand and understanding how far you'll go i think it's really crucial to take a step back and think of your boundaries um and understand what you're willing and not willing to share and then when it comes to your founder story there can be more than one reason that you started a business. I saw a gap in the market. I am an expert in X. I um, really love this thing. But you also have to take a step back and think, okay, which of these stories is interesting to other people? (laughs) And not just interesting to your friends, your mom, your colleagues, your team. Because obviously when you are so close to stuff, that's when you're blind to the value. You've got to think about like, if I stopped a stranger in the street and I told them what I do, mm-hmm. would they be interested enough in it to go home and tell their partner or tell a friend, mm-hmm. right? Like try to take it that far and never ask your family or your own friends for that kind of opinion. Try to get a genuine like stranger's opinion because otherwise your story is going to be so skewed in your own personal emotions um, so when you're figuring out that story to tell, that, that's the challenge. What's interesting? You've got to step back and be like, who cares about this? Who cares about me? Who cares about my product? If you can like, 
resonate with the whole idea of who cares, then you're going to be in the journalist shoes because they're like, like, dude, I get a thousand emails by 12 PM in my inbox. I don't care about you. You've got to make them care. And that's where, you know, the emotive story comes in, where the genius story comes in, where the, you know, the personal attachment, whatever it is for you, that's what you've got to find. The, you've got to break through the who cares moment. So that means you also have to have a very good subject line in your emails. Hmm. Totally. So I, um, so one of the, like, actually my favorite lesson in the no agency method is basically called how to send a better email, one that will actually get opened (laughs) because breaking through someone's inbox is your ultimate goal, especially if you're going after like traditional, like print media or online media. If you're going through um, PR that involves like speaking at events or if your PR is all about networking, because in my opinion, PR is basically everything to do with shaping your image and your reputation. Um, then, you know, if you are going down more traditional routes with your PR, your email is so crucial. So, so crucial. And you have to cut through the noise. You have to be interesting. Um, I have a whole, I, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with it now because it's, it's a little bit, too involved. It would take me like 15 minutes just to talk you through the lesson. Mm -hmm. But essentially, my point of view on emails is stop acting so professional because nobody cares. No one cares. Like how, like, hi, so-and-so. Hope you're well. Are you enjoying the sunshine? How was your summer? How have you been navigating these difficult times? Literally, you are wasting words. Um, Never introduce yourself. It is a complete waste of time. It's not worth it. If you have an email um, uh, signature, that's your introduction already. If they're interested in you, they'll click onto your website. You basically, you don't need to say like, hi, I'm Jessica from the new agency method. Mm-hmm. What? Your email address, my email address is jessica at noagencymethod.com. Do you think they <laughs> can't put two and two together? Stop wasting your words. Um, but basically like, you've got to be more humanistic, more clever, and less boring when you're sending an email. And that's how you get your point of view across. Can you give us an example of a brand or a person that you helped uh, just to give the listeners an idea of how to break through the noise? Maybe an example of a story. I don't know if you can share those. So, um, okay. Uh, I... I've helped someone just from, they not, not even need it from a PR perspective or PR for their own brand, but they wanted to um, learn how to send a better email, break through from, from the noise, and also crucially, get an email through to someone who is so in demand, so desirable, very, very famous. Um, so I'm sure you know Gymshark, very, very well-known sportswear, like yes. really, really well-known. And uh, I know someone who using my methodology of how to send a better email, um, she works in like sustainable sportswear development. So basically similar space, but slightly skewed. And uh, I, I don't even know why she was getting in touch or how or what, what was really required, but using my methodology, she got a reply from the founder of the business. And you know that this is someone who couldn't be more busy and more important. Mm-hmm. So it works. Works. Yeah. I mean, for me, I've used the same methodology of sending a better email to get in front of journalists, to get in front of you know people doing awards and on anything that I'd needed to open doors. Mm-hmm. But it's the same. 
the same logic can be used to if you need to get a hold of a buyer, if you need to get a hold of an investor, if you need if you're looking for a job yourself, your email has to be more interesting. Bottom line. <laughs> can any company use this methodology? Because I feel like not every company has interesting stories. So do you think mm-hmm. everybody I think that there's like there's a assumption that if you work B2B, then PR or being interesting or being funny or being human is not for you. And Mm. I think it's such a joke because as if companies who are operating B2B, bear in mind that no agency method is B2B, right? Mm -hmm. And if you look at any of my content, like I am ridiculous. Like I, I don't care about what you think about my content or how I word it because that is me and who I am. I'm Mm. never going to lose that. Even if I'm helping law firms, right? I don't talk any different to someone at a law firm that I would talk to someone from like a vegan cho- chocolate brand. It's, it's no different, right? Mm-hmm. Like I might, I'm, I mean, and this is a great example. So I helped a vegan chocolate brand who are very, very popular in this side of the world. And they, um, they were paying an agency thousands and thousands of pounds a month. Uh, and instead with the money they've saved, they can hire two additional marketing staff in order to bolster the work that they're doing and own it themselves in-house. So it's completely changed the way their business has run. I mean, they save like, at my math, about 48,000 pounds a year now, having basically like implemented no agency method. So do I think that anybody can do it? Obviously, yeah. It's, it's sector agnostic. I think that if you take the approach that B2B has to be so professional and serious, et cetera, et cetera. Then you are creating a scenario where you are like dampening and like dimming the light on all of your employees. So if I want to apply the methodology that you're talking about, it's being Mm -hmm. yourself, not being so professional, not wasting any words in that email and coming up with a really good email subject line and to me like when you're looking at an email like you have this much space my fingers are very close to each other for whoever (laughs) is just listening to this they're very close to each other (laughs) how do I know if this is interesting I guess like you've got to think when you're sending this email is there a way that you can create a hook of interest that is a little bit more personal it's a little bit more like relevant for the reader because at the end of the day, you, are, you need to appeal to either their emotions or their ego or their job or how, how is this e- opening this email going to improve their life, right? Because mm-hmm. if you operate from the space that everything that you do, all of your Instagram content, LinkedIn content, your email outreach, everything is just you selling, guarantee you that it's not working. It's yeah. just people don't respond to that. People respond to people. So if you remember that, then it will completely change how you run your business. Mm-hmm. So it's the value for them, just like any social media content. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you have to be, you know, you have very limited words. So you have to be far more clever about it. And yeah. I think of it as a game. You also, in order to make this work for yourself, you have to remove yourself from the emotion attached to rejection because, or being ignored because it is impossible that all of your email out, outreach will be successful. 
-hmm. You know, it's impossible. And if you are that person that every email outreach you've ever done to every like cold person, it works, then come and talk to me because I like, I clearly should learn from you but um if you if you let go from that rejection because just because someone doesn't reply to you then doesn't mean they won't another time when you have something perhaps a little, little bit more valuable then um then you give yourself a little bit more room to breathe and be risky you know and have fun what's your advice for entrepreneurs business owners brands that are too scared to pitch their ideas? Oh, I think this is such a sad one. Like the idea of being scared of sales is not going to do anything but harm your business in the long run. So my, my number one advice for this is, first of all, if you are the founder of the business, or even if you just work for the team or you're in, you're in the company, then you know your company better than anybody else, right? There's no way that someone else could know your business better than you because you are the one running it. So with that energy, you have to remember that you are the expert of your own business. So when you are talking to someone, when you're selling yourself, you're in a position of power. You are the expert. You're already, you know, like able to stand up, put your shoulders back, be proud and give them the story that they need to hear because it's coming from a place of expertise. So if you lead from that expertise or almost like expert advice, I think it changes the way you think about selling. It no longer becomes selling is icky. It becomes, I know what I'm talking about. I really like that you called it selling. I've never thought of PR as selling. I always thought of it as marketing and like mm, it's strictly marketing. But I, really like, I like that you called it selling. That's really great advice. Now let's say- I, I, it's, it's pitching, right? It's yeah. the same. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. I never, ever realized that though. Mic drop moments. That's what yeah. I'm here for. <laughs> <laughs> that's what these conversations are for, to learn. It's great. Yeah. Um, now let's say I'm, I pitch my story and I don't hear from them. Mm -hmm. Should I continuously pitch? Now I can change the pitch. I can change the email subject line. Should I be doing that to get through to them? Or is there something else that we should know about? So before you figure out any of that, what you mm. would definitely need to do is look at your overall PR and outreach strategy and align it with your business goals. Mm. So if your story is, is one that you are willing to change every week, then something is wrong in your business goals and your strategy because you should have far more alignment between your business and whatever you want to achieve for PR because just getting PR is not going to help move your business forward. It has to be PR that supports your goals. So if you're, um, if you're a tech startup and your intention is you want to get PR because you want to be um, getting media attention in the right places that investors see so that you can raise money, then your business goal is raising money, right? Your business goal isn't getting PR. Then you have to streamline the outreach in order to be, where are the investors reading their media? Mm. Like what, what story are they gonna see about me in order for them, for their interest to be peaked enough that they'll take a meeting with me, right? And then you end up being able to use what you, would, what you do achieve, refine it, understand 
like that it had a purpose because then you can use that to open doors. Like, I mean, I, I am sure an investor is far more interested to be like um, in, in a, you know, a cold email scenario, perhaps when you as a tech founder can say um, as adored by Forbes, we'd love to meet with you, you know, rather <laughs> than just having, you know, having not been able to get that like, cultural cachet of the big check mark from the media. Really so, okay, so that's question one in terms of answering your question in the first place. Yeah. You can't just blindly pitch. It just doesn't work like that. You will not succeed. And it, I think, is why a lot of founders feel like PR is not for them because they tried blindly pitching mm -hmm. and uh, leading with press releases, which is like a whole other mess that if you do my method, like I go right into. Mm -hmm. um, and... And then, you know, you're not happy because you didn't see any results. But then secondly, if you have sent something and nobody has replied, you have to also remember that kind of like rejection, ignoring kind of confidence and be okay with it. But also remember that people are busy. So you have to have given yourself enough buff buffer room and like a, um, a window of time to be pitching so that you're not selling a story that needs to go live tomorrow because that's when the story launches. You've got to give yourself room that you could pitch it, check in two weeks later, maybe a week later. It really depends per media vertical or who you're trying to speak to. Just to be like, by the way, this, just in case you didn't, whatever, you know, just so that you can see if you've com it's completely dead in the water. If it is dead in the water, it's an opportunity for you to learn. Okay, I now know that this media vertical, this journalist, this company, they don't like X. Let's strike mm -hmm. it off the list. Let's use that to further refine our strategy so that we are constantly learning and growing and getting somewhere together. Um, and yeah, completely like just chasing and chasing the same email and like, you know, have you seen this? Can I send you this press release? Like you are gonna make enemies. So <laughs> that I, I, don't, I don't recommend. I really like what you said about aligning it with your business goals. And just for anybody listening to this, thinking like, ooh, I can use PR for my business. Can you give us more reasons on where we can use PR? You said for investors. Can, can we use PR to help our sales? Oh, what of else? course. Okay. I mean, like, I, so I worked with like a um, non-alcoholic like aperitif um, alternative mm -hmm. and uh, you know, helping her refine her, like as a founder, helping her refine her founder story. So why did she create it? She created it because she was pregnant. She used to work in alcohol, really missed that kind of ritual moment of making a, a drink. And so created something incredible. I have it in my fridge. It's really nice. And uh, there was an opportunity that came about where she's gonna be on TV and that is PR. Mm -hmm. So getting on TV means that um, from a sales perspective, you're suddenly reaching this brand new ginormous audience. She sold out a year's worth of stock in two hours. What? So PR and sales are like this. If you get it right, it's not always going to happen. Like yeah. I can't, you can never, um, you can never guarantee it one way or another, but sometimes something magic happens. And that magic is gonna happen when your story and your goals and the person you're trying to reach, that all comes together, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, any kind of PR that is positive for your business is like another check mark. It's another social proof to say, like we are important in the eyes of the third 
party that we didn't like pay, you know? And uh, that's no bad thing. I think PR is many of the time, many of the times overlooked by businesses, mm-hmm. right? I feel like, oh, let's do social media. Oh, let's do video content, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you, for people who are now listening to this and thinking, hmm, maybe I should consider PR. When you're thinking of it after the fact, when you already have your goals and your strategies, how do you start fitting in PR into your maybe daily uh, tasks or into your strategy as a whole? Mm -hmm. So I think that's where you take the opportunity to make sure that you're all still working towards the same goals. And then you have a look at, in order to reach those goals, what kind of audiences do we want to be reaching? And then where are those audiences hanging out? Mm-hmm. And in, in, in the process of figuring all those bits out, you have your strategy, right? That's all the places that you want to be. And then you just action on it. Um, and the, the best time to do that is like putting, if, if you are not bringing in like an entire person just to manage it, which I think is like very unrealistic for most people, um, it is useful perhaps to empower your marketing team to do it. Um, and they spend time each morning scan the media, understand what's going on in the world, and then look at the opportunities to pitch. If people don't think that they have enough time to do these pitches, maybe they're a solopreneur, should they just reach out to huge publications? Mm, No. The problem with that is you you're putting all of your eggs in one basket and it's it's a basket that's harder to reach, right? It's like if you think that um, it's difficult to get a hold of uh, your local newspaper, then you are overlooking something that is kind of like sitting pretty for you. So rather than if you have very little time thinking super, super big, I would think what is a niche audience that I can reach much faster? And then you're going to have the thrill of success there. And then you can maybe look at reassessing your schedule if you saw positive returns from that to find the time to do it, right? Mm. Or, you know, if you are like a company of one and you start expanding to the place where you might be able to afford a PA or VA, maybe that's the opportunity that you say, hey, I'm gonna empower my VA to do this on my behalf, right? Mm -hmm. There are always ways that you can do this. But one thing that people always forget to give energy to is, local or regional press. So instead of saying, I want to go to the New York Times, think about your neighborhood. Think about your your actual like hometown even. It doesn't have to be where you live. It could be a hometown story about the success in a big city because you are, you know, from that place and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at, at local or regional press, it's usually as easy as a phone call away. Whereas when you want to reach national huge media publications that is like a long slog of pitching yeah so you know not that the other one isn't going to reach more eyeballs but which one is going to happen faster that you learn from and also if you have a product that is locally relevant then why aren't you doing it anyway that's part of your audience right Hmm. that's so interesting if if the listeners had to take anything away from all of your tips. Which one do you think is the most important? I would probably say, don't forget that you're the expert. 
mm. because what I, what I always want to impart to founders and startup teams is a sense of empowerment and confidence that this is possible, that it's not um, scary. There's, you know, remove the smoke and mirrors, like take the, the fog away and the cobwebs and, and everything that you thought the PR was and realize that I'm the expert. I have a story to tell. Let's find the place where I can tell it and mm. be okay with selling myself. Yeah. I feel like I can ask you a million more questions. <laughs> <laughs> And we can just talk about your story because I think it's very interesting. But I'm, I have one last question for you. And I think we already covered it, but I'm still going to ask you. This is the No Formula podcast because there is no single formula to success. What do you think is your formula that got you to where you are today? Someone actually asked me recently, how do I define success? And mm -hmm. it took me a really long time to come to a bit of a conclusion because I think that what we've been conditioned to understand success, uh, at least from my own upbringing, is like a prestigious career in a traditional kind of career path mm -hmm. uh, where you make a lot of money and you have like a nine to five. But none of those things happened to me. <laughs> and um, and I still had to figure out what success looks like to me. So I think I define success right now in my life as deciding when I work and where I work and for how long I work and never having to ask anyone permission. That for me, that's success. I love that. I, I love that. What's crazy is that I feel like I understood that as we were talking. I'm like, she's happy right now. I am happy. And I think it was like the trial and error, not the, the error, but like the continuously trying different things that actually got you here. Yeah, I think right? I, I had to jump through a lot of hoops to realize what I wanted. And yeah. a lot of it was a slow burn realization that I am a terrible employee. I am a manager's nightmare because I'm never satisfied. And you know, I know that I can make a company heaps of money and they can like love the work that I do. But inside for me, I'll have this frustration that I'll never lose. But now that I'm doing my own thing, I don't have it. You know, if I have to tell someone that like today I'm tired, I'm not like, don't feel like getting on with my to-do list. You can't do that. <laughs> you can't just be like, yeah. hey, today's not the one. I'm going to catch up tomorrow. <laughs> you know, like you can't do that when you're in full-time employment or, and also you can't just like up sticks and chill and go to Italy for a month and work but which is what you did like, by the way everyone listening it. she did it that's why it. Um, <laughs> and it's I mean we are in a different world now obviously yeah. remote working is is the way forward and it means that opportunities like that can happen and I'm in a space in my business where it's possible and we're not needed on the ground but I, I think I probably need that in this part of my life to feel successful. Um, and I think like the other thing is for success is to think it's not about being smart or the smartest. I think it's actually about being social. So it's about asking other experts for their help and understanding who you can learn from. Like I, I know that I'm never going to 
I'm never going to do our tax return. I, I, I know that, you know, yeah. but could I do enough courses, read enough books, learn how to do it, become a tax expert? Slowly, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if, you, if you think social, not smart, then you're going to solve your problems faster. I think there's, uh, there's a lot to be said for um, reaching out and asking for help. I think that, you know, you could say that I'm contradicting myself because I'm telling everyone to do their own PR and they're going to be like, why don't I just reach out to a PR person and do it for me? Mm-hmm. In my opinion, that's a little bit different because, you know, you're giving away the power of your own, your own expertise to someone mm-hmm. who doesn't have it. But yeah. there are parts of your business that you're not going to know how to do. Um, but I still believe that getting a bit of knowledge in every part is essential. And then you make the decision of what you're going to delegate, you know? Yeah. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your knowledge with us and your story. And we're definitely going to keep in touch. I want to know everything that happens to the no agency method. I look forward to it. I mean, I think we were just talking earlier. We're going to chill in Montreal (laughs) when we can travel again. Yes. I'm so excited. (laughs) Come and see me in London oh my okay yes we're gonna okay we're gonna just gonna end this interview now because we have to discuss this (laughs) bye everyone thank you for listening thank you before ending this episode i want to highlight some of jessica's tips on how to do your own pr first your story is everything and the more you tap into the emotional side the better two remember that people are busy let go of rejection Three, you are the best person to pitch your story or your brand's story. You have to think of yourself as the expert. Four, pursue PR that supports your business goals. Reach publications that reach your target audience. And five, don't scare away from local press. It's sometimes easier to get coverage. I hope you enjoyed this episode on the No Formula podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone.